I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed just doing certain things that I might not have had the opportunity to do if I'd followed another path or if I had said no to certain things and if I'd been too afraid, right? Because I've always been that person who's been like, okay, I know what I want to do. I'm going to go for this and nothing. I'm not even going to consider any other option. But these things happened and I thought, actually, let's try it. Welcome back to another episode of When Hers United, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I truly appreciate you listening in. This is season 10, episode five, entitled Be Open to Opportunities with Esther Etim. Before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you more about me and When Hers United, the podcast. I believe that success leaves clues. And When Hers United, the podcast was created to give you the clues you need to succeed in business, mindset, personal development, and self-care. These are the four pillars we stand on here at When Hers United, which is why they are emphasized. So we all can live a complete and fulfilled life, both personally as well as professionally. If you love Win Hers United, please invite someone you know to listen and tell your friend to tell a friend. Let's spread the knowledge, y'all. You know, we believe in being empowered and empowering on. Now, without further ado, let's get into season 10, episode five, entitled, Be Open to Opportunities with Esther Etten. We're back with another amazing woman of color entrepreneur, Esther. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Glad to have you. So before we get started, let me tell you more about Esther. Esther Etten helps women in law and media develop strong voices, solid careers, and stable personal lives as the CEO of the Fearless Storyteller House Emporium. Esther believes if you never ask, the answer will always be no. She provokes people who are tired of the status quo to ask questions and find answers that will encourage and inspire them to live and work as authentically and fully as possible. In addition to this, Esther won the UK BEFFTA Award, which is the Black Entertainment, Film, Fashion, TV, and Arts Award for Blogger of the Year. And she writes multicultural women's fiction as Choma Nani. And one more thing, she's reigning from Nigeria, right? So she is helping us to be an international podcast. I love your bio, Esther. Can't wait to, again, like, you know, just dig in and learn more about the amazing things that you're doing. So let's start off with you telling us about your background and what inspired you to start your company, The Fearless Storyteller House Emporium. Okay, so I always written, but it wasn't something, so I'm going to be a writer. It's not, it wasn't something that people said when I was growing up. 
it wasn't that there were no books. There were lots of books and I read lots of books, but it just wasn't something that we thought we could do that makes sense. And so I thought I wanted to become a lawyer and that's what I studied. On the day of my final exams, I woke up that morning, final, yeah, final exam, which was terrifying for me because I, I had held on to this for so long and believed it for so long. And even my extracurricular activities and all that had been centered around this thing that I now realized, oops, I don't want to do this. And so I figured, wait, hang on, finish the exam. So I'd done the exam, graduated. And this was in 2008 when the UK actually fell into a recession. And so what that meant was that even my classmates who had law jobs waiting couldn't take those jobs because the law firms, either they were downsizing or they were closing completely. It was horrible. It was a very horrible time. People were killing themselves. They would go up to the tallest building. There's a place in London called the city. So it's the financial district. So it would be like, I, I guess, the Wall Street's in the US and they would people, investment bankers and lawyers, they would go to the top of the building, the Canary Wharf, and they just throw themselves down. It was horrible. And I remember just thinking, okay, so what am I gonna do now? Because it's one thing to know what you don't want to do. It's another thing to not know what you want to do. And so I, I had those two different situations going on at the same time. And I hung around the UK for a while, ended up at a small medical legal firm just outside of London. And my job was administrative assistant. One of my duties was to proofread the psychiatric reports. So in the UK, you go to courts and the actions of the person are not in doubt. They're like, yeah, you did it. But the mental state of the person they're not that sure. So they're like, okay, maybe this person was under an influence of, of drugs or they were mentally incapacitated, blah, blah, blah. And they've got mental health issues. So you can't actually send them to prison because they did it, but they weren't responsible. And so what happens with those is that they will take them to a, they will section them and they'll send them to hospital. But sometimes people feel like, hey, I'm better. I don't want to stay in hospital for the rest of my life. And of course, just because you feel you're better, you can't just tell the government you're better and the government would be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You can go. So what they would do is they would go to solicitors in the UK. You don't, people don't normally just hire barristers. They would go to a solicitor first and then the solicitor would speak to a psychiatrist who was one of our clients, which is how we came in. And then we would book a session to so call up the prison. Sometimes they were in prisons, but they were low security, like low, they were not maximum security, anything like that. We would call up the prison, set up an appointment between the person who was trying to get out. So we call up the prison or the hospital and set up an appointment between our psychiatrist, who was a client, and the solicitor's client, who was the prisoner or the patient. The psychiatrist would go see them, talk to them, and then drop a report. And then he would send us the report. We would proofread it, send it to the solicitor. And then based on what was in the report, the solicitor would either call a barrister and say, hey, this, you know, this is the report. This person is now well. Can you like go argue in court? 
that there should be a letter. And then we send the solicitor an invoice. And that was what we did. And so we were supposed to do proofreading. And I remember we got this new psychiatrist that signed up with us. The first time that I touched his work, I looked at it and I remember thinking, okay, this is a Nigerian psychiatrist because I saw the surname and I knew he was older than me. And I thought, gosh, I hope he's not going to be offended, but I'm going to change some of the words. So I'm going to go before beyond proofreading and do some actual edits. I'm not going to touch any of the medical words. And so I did that. And I didn't get any complaints or anything because I know that Nigerians, especially like the older ones, they can be, yeah, they can be some sort of way, right? And I felt, okay, if I didn't get any negative feedback, I might as well continue. I had never met him. And around that time, I found out that somebody I had trusted for the previous five years had actually faked a friendship with me in order to steal five different pieces of my writing. So I'm talking the original manuscript for what became my first book. There was a TV pilot, series pilot script. There was a movie script. There was a stage production script and it was something else. And I remember just feeling so stupid, devastated, everything. And she was horrible. She basically said to me, listen, if you don't sign over the rights to these things to me anyway, I'm going to use them anyway. And I asked her, so how much are you asking for? She said, why should I pay you if you don't sign it? I'm going to use it anyway. And by this time, she had traveled back to Nigeria to, in her words, become the Tyler Perry of Nollywood. Nollywood is what we call the Nigerian entertainment industry. So the way Hollywood is the US, Nollywood is Nigeria. She had studied producing and directing at the New York Film Academy. But the problem is that no matter, you know, you can get a fancy degree or whatever, but how are you going to produce and direct material that does not exist, right? And she does not know how to write. I've seen her writing, it's not good. And so she had faked this friendship with me to get my stuff so that she could go and use them because it was that good and she wasn't going to pay me for it. And so when I said, oh, you can't do this, blah, 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 she said, listen, if you don't agree, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. She said, you're not going to take me to court because clearly you've forgotten how things work in Nigeria. It's not the UK where you are. You've gotten confused. Now, in Nigeria, the legal system is at the very best. It's super slow. And when I say slow, I mean, there are some people waiting 15 years to get a case to court. Like the, and when I mean a case to court, I'm not talking of the Supreme Court. I'm talking of the first, you know, just the initial, like where the case first instance, right? And so, I mean, who's going to be doing that? So she said to me, listen, if you come up to me in, you know, legally, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tie you up. She actually said, I'm going to tie you up in court for at least the next five years. And in, in those five years, the case is not going to be heard. I'm going to make my name and my money with your material. And she said, you're not even going to win in the court of public opinion because who's going to believe you? Nigerians are too stupid to know the truth. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, okay, this is, this is horrible. So I got somebody that I went to primary school with who was now a lawyer and was living in Abuja, which is where this thief was living. And I said, listen, I've done this thinking, help me just drop a season, this is letter, blah, blah, blah. And she said, okay, she dropped the season business and then asked me, where do I send it? And I said, oh, I don't know. And she said, what? 
<laughs> what do you mean you don't you don't know where this person lives? What are we gonna do? We tried for two months. I couldn't get anybody because when I called people who knew her and or who knew somebody who knew her to try and get the address, she would tell them, she'd get to them first. Somehow I remembered a another classmate of mine who was a guy or former classmate from primary school. And I don't know why I called him up. He's like the most chilled out human being. So I don't even know why I called him. I called him up and I said, listen, I've done this thing and I'm in trouble. This is what's happened. Can you help me? At first, because he's not in the media space, he's like, okay, look, just write more stuff. Okay. And then I know you're going to be successful and then you can show her that way. And I went, but this is what she's done. And she even verbally abused me and all that. And then he got angry. He went, okay, who is she? I told him. He said, no, no. I mean, who is she? Who is her father? Who is her husband? Who is her brother? Is any, these people I've mentioned, are they in the military? Are they in uniform? Are they politicians? I said, no. And so he was like, so who the hell is she to be threatening you? Don't worry, I'll deal with it. And I don't know what he did to today. And this was 12 years ago now. I don't know what he did. But two weeks after we had that conversation, she sent me a message, an email, I've still got it, saying, I don't know where you had to go get people involved. You're being horrible. I will never use your material, your stuff. And I called him and I said, what did you do? And he said, how is that your business? You had a problem. I fixed it. Go and be happy. And I was like, oh, okay, this is really, yeah. And so around that time, because when all this was going on, I was, I was losing weight. I was freaking out because I just kept having these nightmares of waking up one morning and finding that she had used my stuff without my permission. And because during those two weeks, he, my friend was silent. He wasn't telling me what was going on or whatever. So I didn't know what was happening, but it was telling on me to the point where my boss in the office noticed. And she was like, it's summer. Why are you shaking? And you know, all this. And I told her. And then, so when the matter was settled. I also told her, she said, listen, I know that you're not really sure what you want to do with your time and your life, blah, blah, blah. And that you really dissolution. This is not what you want to do. But I need you to understand that if somebody was willing to fake a friendship with you for five years, this is consistency. It's like someone was willing to fake a friendship with you for five years to steal your writing. I need you to consider that your writing is actually good. I know you tried to get published in the past, blah, blah, blah. It's not worked, but I need you to have faith. And so after that, I, I called up two people that I'd gone to uni with who had a, an artist-like exposure company. They had this open evening in London and all that. And I called them and I said, can you help me? They said, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to get you in a room with people and your work, see how they react. And I took that offer because if you've watched, I, I don't know if it's still to the X Factor in America, but you know how when you watch those shows, you see some people who can't sing. And they ask them, why are you here? And they go, oh, my mama said I could sing. Or my grandma said I could sing and blah, blah, blah. And I did not want that to happen to me because, see, I had people who knew me and liked me tell me that my writing was good. And I thought, okay, what if they're just trying to spare my feelings? Let me go and test this material in front of people who don't know me from Adam. And so I did the open evening, had three different pieces of my work read out by three different people. And the reaction was really good. Some people thought they were pieces of work that were already published, but they had a head of, I'm like, no, no, this is my stuff. And so after that, this is like a couple of weeks later, I think there's this, I don't know if they do it anymore, but there's a free newspaper that 
we had around London, it's called The Voice. I picked up this newspaper two weeks later and I saw an ad in the paper saying, if you've got a story to tell, you want to publish a book. For some reason, I didn't recognize the number. I should have. And I'll tell you why later. What I didn't recognize is the number. I call up the number, have a conversation with this person without asking the person's name till the end of the conversation. I went, oh crap, I don't know your name. I, what's your name? And the person starts laughing. It was a guy. And I remember thinking, oh crap, what, what have I done? Have I got myself a stalker now? He mentions his name. I'm absolutely mind blown, freaking out. It's the psychiatrist from the office, the one whose work I had edited. And he said to me, I have known about you from the first day you edited my work. He said it was so good that I called your boss because he remembered what he had written and he read it back and said, no, this is not what I wrote before, but he reads better now. And he and my boss had a conversation about me, but they then came to an agreement that if I ever found out on my own that he had a publishing firm, because I didn't know that at the time, that he would help me publish, but she shouldn't say anything to me. Wow. And yeah, and then the voice newspaper and and and, and 18 months later my first book, Forever Dev Screen, was published. Wow, that is a long journey. I feel like full of yeah. ups and downs, which is similar to the entrepreneurship journey, right? Like a, a lot of people think that the entrepreneurship journey is going to be just straight line and <laughs> you've made it, right? But a lot of times there are many loops, there are setbacks, there are hills, there are valleys, there are all kinds of things in between. And if you uh -huh. keep pushing, you'll make it there, right? And, and your story is the epitome of that. It was a few things that you said that stuck out to me as far as, you know, going to school wanting to be a lawyer and then getting to the test and not wanting to do it or, you know, having a change of heart. Right. And I think that those things are important to pay attention to. Right. Because, you know, if you have these feelings within yourself, do yourself a favor and pay attention to those feelings and do some exploration in relation to that feeling. One of the suckiest things to do is to get into a career you know, or a field and be miserable. We don't want anyone to ever be miserable, right? So if you're second guessing yeah, yourself, yeah, yeah, take some time to figure out why you're second guessing yourself and what can you do to be more at peace with your path forward. I do love though that although you second guessed yourself, you went through with the exam and even going into that field and still your passion, I feel like your passion kind of chased you down, so to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there's just some things that you don't even really imagine, right? And then they happen and you think, I actually like this and I'm going to follow through with this. I remember when I wanted to do press and even the way this particular one happened was really funny. I was in a McDonald's restaurant. I had gone there like lots of times, but on this occasion, don't know if they changed their recipe now, but I liked the hot chocolate they did. And then I went there for their Wi-Fi. And this was on the 30th of December. And I remember that because these two guys, they came in and they were like, oh, can we sit here? Because I had like, I had a huge, I was sitting down at a huge table. And I said, yeah. And they finally asked me, oh, what are you working on? I had my laptop with me. And I said, oh, I'm a writer. 
and I showed them my, my book on Amazon. And one of them saw what it was about. I said, hang on, I know a radio presenter who's really going to love this stuff because she's into this stuff. So he gave me a business card and said, you know, it had her name, her email address, her phone number. And I didn't call her till the following year. When I called her, we made arrangements to, she said, email me stuff. I emailed her. Then we made an arrangement to, to go to the station to record because at the time the station was literally moving locations. So they couldn't do live, but they didn't want to have a backlog. So they were still recording. Right. And so she says, come into the station and we'll record and then we'll broadcast. And the day broadcast, she calls me after and says, did you listen? I said, yeah. And she said, you see, the thing is that a retired BBC correspondent, listen, that man has never paid me any compliments before, but he loved your voice and said he thought you should be a radio presenter. And I thought, I don't understand what you're saying. She says, come back into the station. We'll do more promotion for the book. And I went, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> like, it's great promotion. And I go back here and what I don't know is that her bosses are literally listening in the next room. And it made interview, one of her bosses comes and offers me my own radio show. So me, I was like, I swear people actually go to school for this kind of thing. Like how, you know, how is this happening to me? And so I did a series on domestic violence, which is one of the themes of my book, Five A Day For You. And then I decided to return to Nigeria. But then a year and a half after I returned to Nigeria, this same radio presenter reaches out to me, says, listen, I moved radio stations, but I talked to my new boss about, he wants to give you your own radio show. And I'm like, I don't, you know, if you notice, I said I was moving to Nigeria. I was serious. I am in Nigeria. That is in the UK. How are you going to do this? And she says, where there's a wheel and technology, there's a way. And I don't know what they did, but I was able to, from Nigeria, present a weekly show at a radio station in London using WhatsApp. I don't know how they did it. And it was a live show. And it was listened to, from what I gathered, it was listened to in 66 countries, right? and I just think, you know, sometimes it's one of those things where you might not have that definite picture of, oh, this is what I want to do. You know, go with the flow and see what happens. I enjoyed the show and I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed just doing certain things that I might not have had the opportunity to do if I'd followed on that path or if I had said no to certain things and if I'd been too afraid, right? Because I always been that person who's been like, okay, I know what I want to do. I'm going to go for this and nothing. I'm not even going to consider any other option. But these things happened. And I thought, actually, let's try it. And then I found out, oh, I actually enjoy it. I'm actually helping people and people know me for this. And yeah, it just works. I love that. I love that. So that's interesting. I remember when I first moved from New Jersey to Florida, I was attending a series of business classes. And in one of the classes, the guy, this was my first time even hearing this word and understanding the meaning, but he said serendipitous moments, you know, so those moments that come together that are truly divine, right? And that's what I heard. Yeah. When I was listening to your story and, you know, being open because you could have told those guys, no, you can't sit with me. And that would have been a missed opportunity, right? So being open because you never know. And then I would say, too, it speaks to always showing up at your best because you never know who's watching. Right. You know, like having those people that listened and actually wanted to get to know you better. I want to take a moment and step back. Right. Because I feel like in life, this is something that we have to deal with 
often, or I hope not often, but sometimes it is often, you know, that we have to deal with and just being able to navigate that, right? Like you went through an extreme betrayal, right? So going through an extreme betrayal, being stressed out behind a betrayal and everything, but then being able to reach out for help and navigate through that and come out well on the other side, right? Like, I think that that is a gem within itself. So like, do you have any advice for a person that may feel betrayed going after their business or they told someone their business idea and then this person went and created that business? Okay, so this is the one thing I wish someone had told me and I would tell my younger self. It's the mantra that, by which I live my life now. And that is learn how to recognize people, things, and situations for what they are, not what your ego or emotion would prefer, and treat them accordingly. So I felt betrayed because I thought she was my friend, but in reality, she wasn't, right? If I had recognized from the get-go that this is not your friend, this is somebody who is going to treat you, you know, in a way that you, then, I mean, I'm might have protected, I, like it, I would like to think I might have protected myself and my work more. And then when she showed up saying, you know, when the real has showed up with all the helpful words and everything, I would not have been that surprised. It just helps me to just clarify things because if I understand and I have it in my head, even after an event, this person was not your friend. And so if somebody was a friend of me, What exactly do you expect them to do? They don't what they're going to do, right? A snake is a snake and is going to behave like a snake, even if you see it and you tell yourself it's a piece of twine. At some point, it's going to bite you because that is what snakes do, right? And so, and it's not just with that. It's also with good people as well. Sometimes you look at a person and they don't look the part of, I don't know, whatever it is you're expecting. And you miss out on that, right? Like you said, those two guys, they looked so ordinary. I could have said, no, don't sit with me. They didn't know me for Adam. I, I have been to that McDonald's many times already that month, like pretty much every day that month and at different times. I had never seen them before. I haven't seen them after that. They would not have lost anything, but Looking back now, I know I would have lost something if I had been horrible to them or I said, don't stick with me. If I had not shown up when I did, and again, there's also that thing about divine timing, right? If I hadn't shown up when I did at that particular radio station, I don't know what would have happened because what I was told was that that retired BBC correspondent didn't normally listen to the show, but he did that day and he reached and I, I don't know who he is. And so it's literally that thing of even the way that I got my first EMR publishing deal in the first place, it was a medical legal company. It wasn't a publishing firm. It wasn't a magazine. Those are the things that make sense, right? If I was working for a magazine editor, I can maybe see in sort of a wild dream how she might know a book publisher who might be, or a book agent who might be willing to take a chance on me. But medical legal, there's no way in the world, yet that was the opportunity. And it wouldn't have happened if I didn't do the work the way that 
I have felt was right. I didn't show up. So it's literally like, that's what I just tell myself, learn how to recognize people, things, and situations for what they are, not what your ego or emotion would prefer, and then treat them accordingly. If you don't learn that before an event, oh, you will learn it after it happens. And then you sure. take that lesson and you move on. <laughs> right, right. That's good. That's good. We got merch. Go to winhersunited.com forward slash shop to check out the WinHers t-shirts. There are two options available for you in multiple colors. Get one for you and a friend. One is called the WinHers Courageous t-shirt and the other is called the WinHers Birthright t-shirt. The material is top-notch and the designs are too cute. Remember, you're a WinHer every day. So you might as well wear the t-shirt. Get yours today at winhersunited.com forward slash shop. All right, let's switch over a little bit, right? When you write, you actually use a pen name, right? And I know a lot of people possibly think about this, right? Like, let's say you you mm-hmm. want to be a writer, you know, but the things you write about, you don't want attached to your actual name. Talk to us about why you chose to use a pen name and how you came up with your name. That is actually my maiden name. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it is your name. Okay. Okay. It is. It is. Yeah. But what had happened was I was already writing as that. And so when I figured out the personal branding for my books and I looked at everything that I'd written while in fiction and some of my thoughts that contributed to that sort of fiction. And I noticed what a thread was. And I thought, okay, this is what this person does. But I noticed I had other interests that like helping women in law and media. And I went, no, people are going to be confused, which is actually what happened at the beginning stages of my career, because people kind of went, I understand you're passionate about this, this, and this, but it's too scattered. We don't understand. I mean, we see it, but we don't see it. And so I went, okay, no, use this name for that. That's what people already know. I mean, if you already got a couple of books out with this particular name, that's fine. And so when I write Chamanani, it is for women who want to be strong, independent, and fulfilled. And then when I do stuff as Esther Tim, it is for women in law and media. So it's more career, like more, it's definitely nonfiction stuff, right? right? And it's not just women in law and media, so it's provoking people to think. So it's basically a branding decision. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And having brand clarity is super, mm-hmm. super important. I agree that that was a good, good decision. So talk to us about thinking of yourself as a business. What do you mean by this and how do we do it? So when I first got back to Nigeria, one of the things that I was already doing was I was ghostwriting. I realized that a lot of people didn't take me that seriously because apart from that, and like I mentioned before, I was writing all over the place, you know, today I'm writing on politics and why people should think about what they're doing and Tomorrow I'm writing about how women should be domestic violence situation. And I remember thinking, okay, I also want to publish books because some people were asking me, can you help us publish books and all that? And I went, you can't really do that as an individual in Nigeria because there's certain things you can't do. 
you can't get ISBNs in Nigeria if you are not an actual publishing company. And so I thought, okay, fine, let's go and register there. And so I, I did that and I made sure that I had them put in all the things that I thought I might do later, even if I wasn't doing them, you know, at, at that time. The specialist who did the thing was, he was very generous. I looked at the paperwork, some paperwork now, and I think, hmm, how many years later? This is what I want to do. But I didn't tell him that before. And I don't know, he's got experience in that. And I just found out that it, it helps with, you know, brand clarity. That's one thing. But thinking of yourself as a business, as opposed to this, oh, it's, it's a cute, airy, fairy thing that I do, and, you know, whenever the mood takes me, which is something that I find that a lot of writers do, a lot of creatives do, which is very detrimental because nobody takes it seriously. I mean, fame in itself is not currency. It's not going to be your bills. It's not going to make you happy. And part of brand clarity, which helps in business success and longevity, is just defining for yourself what it is that you really want. Right? I remember when I first got back to Nigeria, I was speaking to these people who wanted to, who said to a PR specialist, and I said, "Listen, I don't care if I don't look like I have money, as long as I do have money, because I don't want that whole, you know, that Instagram lifestyle of you're doing all this and doing that, but you're broke and you're miserable and all that." And I mean, back then, Instagram hadn't blown up the way. It does now. And so just having a company, that's one thing. So registering a company and then thinking like a business, where it is taking business classes, like do whatever, you know, it takes to, to get that knowledge. Some things will be innate, but some things you do have to learn and you have to learn from others who know what they're doing. And there are all these free courses and there's stuff in YouTube. There's so much knowledge. Kind of need to streamline and decide, okay, that is not going to work for my business because X, Y, Z. Not because I'm afraid, but because, no, this, this doesn't work. And I was talking to one of my authors the other day, and I was talking to him about marketing himself. And I said, in Nigeria, we are the only small publisher whose books are in Australia, in libraries. Yeah, in Australian libraries. They're about eight. Australian libraries or library services. And when I say library services, it's a library management system. So some of them have like 10, 25 libraries under them. And then their library service has got them. And it's that thing of, I think of my business as a business. And so when you think about it, it's like, okay, what would I do to compete? But looked at as favorably as say the big four publishers. And I remember this other library service that I contacted and I said, hey, we want to distribute some of our books through you. What do I need to do to make that happen? There's some people who are not going to know to ask that question. There's some people who are going to be too afraid to ask that question. I'm like, what's the worst thing you can say, right? And it's that thing of understanding the marketing. I tell my husband, marketing is not putting a book on. Amazon or wherever it can be, that is distribution. Marketing is telling people whose attention you want, what you can do for them, why they should get whatever it is that you're selling and where and how to get it. And so if I'm thinking, I'm sitting down in a little corner and thinking, oh, they're not giving me a chance. They don't know you. Like it's not beef, right? Because they can't hate you if they don't even know you exist. Right. And if you and how are they going to know you exist if you don't give them a reason to? So with 
one of them that's supposed to be really difficult to get into, they gave me this list of questions to answer. And I answered them without feeling, oh, how dare they, or feeling small or whatever. And next thing I knew, they went, yeah, here's our contract. Can you look through it? And, and there was another one that gave me a response that I didn't really like. I said, no, I understand that. They said, look, you're, you're a small publisher and we get a lot of press, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, that's fine. But I need to know, is this, we can't do this. Does it mean no, never, had passed, we're never going to do it? Or is this a decision that might change in the future? And if it is, tell me what is causing the gap right now, right? And it, it's a genuine question of, I mean, it's not, I'm not desperate. I'm, I'm sure I can find another way. But if you're saying no for X, Y, Z reasons, then I want to know if that's something that we can implement in, my, in our business, not necessarily because of you, but I don't know, you probably talk to other distributors as well who might have similar policies, right? And so that thing of just understanding, I run a business, I want to make money, I want to do this and keeping that goal in mind and learning along the way and trying, trying very hard not to freak out when something doesn't go the way that you think you should. Right, right. I love that. And it goes back to what's in your bio, right? If you don't ask, the answer yeah. will always be no, right? And I like how exactly. you took that a step further and had those difficult conversations like, okay, the answer is no, right? Is that a no forever? Is that a no right now? But then to me, the gym was what's missing that could make mm. it a yes, right? Because even like you yeah. say, even if it's not for this person, that could be something that you implement for future people, you know, yes. that may be looking for the same thing, right? So that continued development and continued growth. I think that's super, super amazing. I love the being able to reach out, right? Like, you know, mm. and I think a lot of people may think things just fall from the sky, right? But things they don't. don't fall from the sky, right? <laughs> you have to do the research to figure out who yeah. you need to contact. You have to contact them people. You may have to follow up and follow up until you get a response, right? But, you know, like that's how this thing goes, right? It's a lot of work yeah. that happens behind the scenes to see the amazing, successful people that we see doing great things, right? And we have to be willing to put in that work behind the scenes, and then I love your what I heard you talk about is in essence like plan for the future, right? So you when you went into establishing your publishing company, you know, you were thinking of things that I may not be doing this right now, but what do I possibly want to do, you know, in the future, right? Plan for the yeah. future. What do they say? What is it? The seven habits of highly successful people is beginning with the end in mind, right? Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, that end may be what you think it is today and it could always mm -hmm. change, right? But you should Absolutely, have yeah. some kind of forecast for yourself to know what you're working towards. So I love that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk about boundaries, right? You know, because I feel like as business people, as mothers, as daughters, as sisters, as aunts, employees, business owners, right? Boundaries oh. are something that we need to embrace, right? Yeah. But tell me what the word boundaries mean to you, why you feel it's important, and how you set boundaries for yourself and others. 
Okay, so the main thing for me is to going back to learn how to recognize people, things, and situations for what they are. It's just because if you, for instance, you've got someone who says a BFF, right? And you decide that because they say, oh, I'm helping your business, you don't hire them, but they don't know what they're doing and they're not teachable. And then because you're afraid of mocking up that relationship, you don't tell them, you don't fire them. And what that means is that's going to have a very negative impact on your business because then when customers or suppliers or other people who interact with your business, when they encounter this person or whatever it is that, you know, in whatever office they do it, some people are not going to be able to reach out to you or they will, they won't have your contact. They don't have that personal relationship with you. They're just going to believe this is how your business is, right? And at some point, you're going to find out and then you're going to have to let this so-called best friend go from your business. And then that relationship is going to be messed up because you don't understand boundaries. This person is your BFF that you talk about personal issues, whatever. It doesn't mean you should bring them into your business, right? It's, it's just, again, the title. I find that we live in a society where people, people worship titles. It is, is a doctor, is this, is that. But is their character and whatever it is, like their, their work package or ethic, does it live up to that title, right? In Nigeria, and this is horrible, there have been cases of people who have found, it's just senseless. Like someone just go and set up something that they call a hospital, and then they're doing operations on women who did not ask. I mean, because a lot of people just don't ask. Like if you see a hospital, and fair enough, if you see a hospital or what looks like a hospital, you don't normally go in and ask the person who says they're a doctor, I want to see your certificate, right? Some of them are not even medically qualified. And I'm like, why? Like, this is senseless, right? And, but the reason that some people found themselves in that situation is that thing of the title, right? Oh, he's a, he or she is a this, 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 this. And I, I'm like, that's fine. But who have they worked on before? What is their track record, right? Are they competent? And for me, competence is capability and character that's needed to handle the responsibilities of a particular situation. And some people learn the hard way, right, that you can't just trust people's titles. And so when I have that in my mind, it's very easy for me to, to set up boundaries and enforce those boundaries. Because I don't care how nice you are. If I know for a fact you're not a doctor, I'm not getting on whatever it is that you say is your operating table or your examining table. No, it's not happening, right? But I know you're not an editor because, I mean, you can call yourself an editor. I'm going to ask to see what you've done before. I am going to ask for references of people that you've worked with before because I, I normally say some people's talent is more than their drama. And so I can afford to work with them. If your drama is more than a challenge, then no, I don't want to work with you. For me, that thing about boundaries is just, on the, first of all, understanding that titles don't mean anything unless you want them to mean something. And just recognizing people, things that situations for what they are, not what my ego or emotional, treat them accordingly. It just helps me have less reasons to cry. I love that. I love that. That was so good. So as you were speaking, it made me think of something that one of my friends told me, right? And it's trust, but verify, right? Because there have been times where yeah. I got into situations or contracts with people, you know, and I didn't get what I was expecting. 
Right. But I trusted and I didn't verify, you know, so getting those credentials, talking to previous customers. Right. And I love how you tied this into what we can do to set boundaries in our business, you know, and yeah, in our business. Right. And even with our personal people, you know, that may want to come into our business. Right. Separating those relationships, you know, not making it personal. Right. And and ultimately protecting yourself. Right. So to me, it's like boundaries are how are you going to protect yourself, you know, in relation to people around you. Right. And protect yourself from yourself. Right. If you're one of those extra trusting people, you know, then you still need to verify. Right. So that's protecting you from you, you know, and that verification is also protecting you from other people. And it's so funny because I feel like sometimes I live on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? To where, you know, I'm always looking at people as, you know, where I could be skeptical, right? Because I've been hurt many times in the past, right? So then you have these walls up that are super high, right? But learning how to be more fluid, so to say, you know, and not be so scared to interact with people and trust people, again, because I'm verifying, Right. But then also not being on that other opposite side to where I'm trusting everybody and I'm not verifying anything. Right. So I think that that was great, great advice. All right. So I want to say congratulations, though, because you talked about a win and we're all about celebrating wins. Right. So being in places in Australia or libraries in Australia that are not common to small publishing companies. Congratulations. That's super, super amazing. Right. (laughs) Now tell us about your latest win and why it's important to you. So I think it was last week, I started thinking about the storyline. And at first I just battered it away because I was like, I can't write that. I'm not qualified. But the idea kept coming. And so I started making notes. And I was like, this is a book, but I don't feel qualified to write this book doesn't make sense and then I started thinking okay no just just whatever you get just write it down and I started looking at it and I was like what is the problem and I said like I was literally speaking out loud to myself I read it out and I was like oh my god I I've seen the outline but I was like I don't know what the story is it's like it's everywhere and I started thinking okay answer yourself honestly why do you think you're not qualified to write and I said to answer myself, and it's because the main character, I don't see myself in her. I don't have any experience in that way. The main character is a beauty influencer. And I was like, <laughs> I can't highlight or contour or anything like that to save my life. And I thought, hang on, that's actually what's going to make the story work. And when I admitted that to myself, and I was like, okay, that's why you're concerned. You've judged yourself. So you think other people are going to judge you because they know you for a certain thing. And they're going to be like, oh, we understand when she writes about a lawyer. We understand when she writes about a don't presenter. Why is she writing about, about a beauty influencer? Like she, she looks good. Yes, she scrumps up nice, but she's not a beauty influencer. And when I had answered that for myself, I saw the story and I was like, you know, because some people, they think the outline of the story is still like these steps and this happens and that happens and that. And that's not the story. That's an outline that's going to help you not <laughs> look at a blank page, right? 
And so I, I figured out the story and I started, and I got very excited to write it. I started on Sunday and I think just before this interview, I'd done just over 9,000 words. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Yeah. And the goal is to release it by Christmas, which is something that first freaked me out because I was like, that's like five months away. Like usually I, I do like nine months. Like we don't do, oh, publish a book in 30 days. I'm like, no, that's a recipe for failure. We actually want your book to sell. And so I usually say to my authors, we will try and get your book out within nine months and a week. So that's like a whole pregnancy, right? Of you giving us the, the initial manuscript. But I'm thinking, okay, hang on, let me see. If this can be done, right? Because like I said, if, if you don't ask the answer always go, if I don't do it, how am I gonna know? So so yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. It's going well because I've outlined it and I think yeah, I think I'm gonna be able to finish the manuscript well before the end of this month. Like I seem to be doing a lot better than the target I give myself every day. My target is to write 2,500 words a day and I'm doing more than that. So yeah. I love that. Congratulations. That is so awesome, right? Like, and I heard, you know, like you had doubt, right? But pushing through that doubt, right? You had negative self-talk, right? But you challenged that with, why do I feel this way? Like taking the time to dig into what's underneath that negative self-talk, right? And then yeah. again, pushing through. I also heard like, don't put yourself in a box, you know? Yeah, yeah you've yeah. been, you know, staying sort of in a comfort zone of writing about people that have a similar background to you, right? But now mm-hmm. you want to write about yeah. someone that doesn't have a similar background to you and why can't you, yeah. right? So don't put yourself mm-hmm. in that box because, you know, who wants to be in a box? I know I don't want to be in no box, right? We don't belong in a box. We belong outside the box. We're able to color outside the lines, right? And show up as we choose or as our heart desires. So I really love that, that that was your win, right? So tell us what does being a winner mean to you? For me, it means that I'm not afraid to fail, to win, to just be right because some things you think you're not going to get some things that you don't even have any clue how they're going to happen they're just going to happen and yes you should have goals but when you're constantly focused on I'm not going to be happy unless I'm not going to be happy till I'm only going to be happy when because I remember when I won the BEFTA after like 30 minutes <laughs> Everything starts dissipated. And I was shocked. I don't know what I thought I would feel, but whatever it was, I didn't feel it. And I remember thinking it's such a good thing that I'm happy in my life personally or professionally because that, that was when I understood how celebrities get depressed to the point of killing themselves because you're looking for something like, you know, you're, you're always chasing that next thing that you think is going to make you feel like a winner so you're not even taking time to smell the coffee or the roses along the way or just notice anything else so it's that no I want to do a music video and nothing else matters it's like yo like the people on this music video with you human beings try and speak to them like you know you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow no I want to publish this book I'm not going to be happy until you know I finish that radio show (laughs) please do you know how many times my radio show went wrong? Like there were times after the show because technology happens and even when you're prepared, like stuff still happens. 
I would call my husband every Sunday evening, like most Sunday evenings, and I'd just be crying on the phone. I'm like, it wasn't even my fault. And I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, it wasn't your fault. So, and that's the thing that was frustrating for me because I'm like, if something is wrong, fix it. But if it's not your fault and it's not really the fault of the other people, this is just something that just happened. Nobody can fix this. It, it's just, you know, take it and move on. So for me, it, it's that whole not, not being afraid to fail or win or just be. It's not the end of the world. Don't be afraid to win because some people are actually afraid of winning. So I heard this once. Some people are so addicted to the drama that comes with failure, they don't actually know how to handle success. So don't be afraid to fail to win or just be. I love that. I love that. And I can so relate to that because a lot of times I feel like, you know, or mostly in the past, I think I'm coming out of it, but I feel like I was one of those people that were afraid of success. And I did a lot of self-sabotaging and putting things in a way Right. That when ultimately it was my own fear of what's going to happen when this thing happens, that I was holding myself back from that thing. So not being afraid to win is definitely a real thing. Right. And when I was listening to you, it made me think of enjoy the journey. Right. And a journey comes with good. It comes with bad and it comes with in between. Right. But it's important for us to enjoy each of those steps because the joy is actually in the journey. Because like you said, you get to this end goal, then what? Then what? And you may have missed all of the roses and the flowers and the you know sunshine and the rainbows and the unicorns and all of the things that were along in the journey because you were so focused on, you know, that mile marker, so to say. So I truly appreciate that. Esther, oh my goodness, it has been so awesome speaking to you. Before we let you go, let us know where we can find you and how we can connect with you. Okay, so if you go to estherattain.org forward slash links, so that's E-S-T-H-E-R-E-I-M dot org forward slash links. The forward slash links is really important or else you just might get lost on the site. I really enjoyed this interview with Esther, and I hope you did as well. My takeaway for today is to learn to recognize people, things, and situations for the way they are, not the way my ego or emotion will want them to be, and to treat them accordingly, even for good or for bad, right? So if a person means me bad, pay attention to that. If a person means me well, pay attention to that. And all of this really makes me think of discernment, which is something that I prayed for for many, many years. What's your takeaway from today? Send me an email and let me know. My email is whenhersunited at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. One of my mottos is sharing is caring. So I sure hope that you care to share. I look forward to receiving an email from you. Also, don't forget to go to winhersunited.com forward slash podcast to check out the show notes for this episode. There you can read Esther's full bio, get the links to connect with Esther, get the cash app handle for Winhers United, get the direct link to my Buy Me A Coffee page, get the link to get your Winhers t-shirt, and more. We'll be back in two weeks with another amazing, winning woman of color entrepreneur. But until then, as always, 
Be empowered and empower on.